To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And even as we just sang, your mercy is abundant. It is deeper than we can fathom. And God, you pour out that mercy on us every day. God, as we read this psalm, let us sing of justice and mercy. And let us walk with integrity. Let us cut off sin from our lives and let us just look to you, knowing that you are the great God. You are worth our best. In Jesus' name, amen. So this psalm starts off, at first, what might seem in a weird way. He says, I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. And then immediately, he launches into the actions that he's going to be making. He doesn't seem to be singing of mercy and justice, and he doesn't seem to be singing praises to God. It's all about the kind of life that he's going to live. So he starts off in singing of mercy and justice. But what kind of mercy and justice is he singing about if he doesn't continue it in the psalm? Well, actually he does. There's really two ways to look at the psalm. The first, or this first verse of the psalm. The first one is to say David is singing of the mercy and justice that he will have in his own life. He will show mercy and he will be just. And is David singing of how he's going to live uprightly before God? The other way is to say that he's singing of the mercy and justice of God. And in remembrance of that, as he sees how merciful God is and how just God is, he then shows his response to that mercy and justice of living with integrity, of walking uprightly. Neither way, I mean, he doesn't say for sure what he's talking about. He doesn't say, I will sing of mercy and justice. Footnote, that's the mercy and justice of God, by the way. He doesn't throw that in there. But either way doesn't really affect the meaning of the psalm. Because either way, God is merciful and just. And either way, we're still responding with mercy and justice, hopefully in our own lives. And we're still responding, as David does, with an upright heart. So then after David does this beginning introduction to the psalm, with the mercy and justice of singing praises to God, he then begins to dive into just his personal commitment. So verse 2 he will behave wisely in a perfect way. Now, again, obviously the perfect way doesn't mean David is never going to sin. He's still human. He's still a sinner. But his behavior, the way that he acts when he's living, is not going to be characterized by sin. Right? He's starting with his own life personally in this psalm. When I behave, when I act, when I walk, 
my walk, my life is not going to be characterized by sin, but rather it is going to be upright. It's going to be in a perfect way, in a right way. So that's David's beginning commitment. Again, starting with himself. And then, again, there's something that probably seems a little bit odd at first. He says, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? And then he keeps going. What is the, oh, when will you come to me? What does that have to do with anything? He's talking about his behaviors, his actions. Who's coming to who? Well, he's talking to God. He's saying, God, when will you come to me? And he's also not saying God is not with him. He's not saying he doesn't have a relationship with God. And he's not saying God somehow abandoned him. But rather, he's desiring that intimate relationship with God as he walks uprightly. He says, God, I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to live uprightly. I'm still going to sin, but I'm going to seek after you. So when will I have that close relationship? When will I see you? When will you come to me? He's expressing poetically his desire for a deeper relationship with God, for a more intimate relationship with God. And then he keeps going. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Again, it's his lifestyle. First he starts internally, just him, behavior. It's going to be right. And then he goes to his actions inside his house, at home, when there's very few people around. Remember, he's a king. But he's not just saying, when I'm in front of the kingdom, when I'm judging people, then I will walk with a perfect heart. But he says, even at home, even when I'm in that place where you know, I'm most comfortable, I can just slouch around, do what I want, nobody cares. Even then, he still wants to walk with a perfect heart. His desire still at this point, even in his own house, is to walk with God. Is to walk rightly. And then he describes some of how he's going to do this. He's already said, I'm going to walk uprightly. I'm going to have integrity in my life. And now he begins to describe it. Verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. He's saying anything that's wicked or evil or wrong, I'm not even going to look at it. There's sin, I'm going to turn away. I'm going to look the other way. There's something evil, I'm going to completely look away. It's not like, here's sin, He's, he's not doing that. He's saying, there's sin. I'm looking that way. He's completely avoiding it. And he hates the work of those who fall away. Someone who falls away is someone who's unfaithful. They may seem good for a little bit, but they fall away. And David hates that work. Again, expressing his desire for uprightness. Hate is a pretty strong word. A lot of us probably don't want to say it very often, saying we hate something. But David says very clearly in this psalm, he hates the work of those who fall away. He doesn't say he hates those who fall away. He hates their work. He hates unfaithfulness. That's a complete loathing. Despising it. It's not something that he tolerates at all, but it's something that he completely rejects, wants nothing to do with. He says, it shall not cling to me. The work of those who fall away, unfaithfulness, will not cling to him. It will not have a part in his life. 
It's like if there's a leech. You get a leech on you when you go swimming. Right? That's unfaithfulness. You can just leave it there. You can just stay there on your arm. Or you can just take it off and get rid of it. And that's what David says he's going to do. He's going to look at this unfaithfulness and he's not going to let it cling to him. He's going to remove it completely. And then he says, A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. A perverse heart is a twisted heart, a crooked heart, a heart that's really going the wrong direction. And he doesn't want anything to do with that heart either. He's completely committed to removing this perverse heart from his life. To again, walking uprightly, living with his integrity, being faithful. So that he says he will not know wickedness. Knowing wickedness would be a more intimate knowledge. That's often how the Bible using, uses it. Because he can know what, in, what wickedness is. He can say, I know wickedness because I know this is lying and this is stealing and all these things. But that's not what he means. He says he's not going to deeply know wickedness. He's not going to practice it. He's not going to live in wickedness. He's going to set it aside from him. He's going to leave it. So this is really his integrity in himself, in his personal life, with just him. But it doesn't stop there. He expands it further to the people around him too, as we keep going in the psalm. Verse 5, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. David's going to have nothing to do with people who are living in sin. This one, that person who's, you know, saying good things to the neighbor when the neighbor's around, then saying all kinds of bad things when they're not there. David wants nothing to do with that person either. He doesn't just say, him, I'll probably tell maybe he should stop or move or whatever, I don't know. He says, him, I will destroy. That's complete and total removal. It's gone. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Proud people. Someone who walks around all puffed up with how great they are. David isn't going to tolerate that person. He's not going to endure him. He's not going to let him stay around. David doesn't want those kinds of people in his life. There's a proverb that says, a friend of the wise will become wise and a companion of fools will become a fool. Right? David knows that the people you're around influence your life. If you're surrounding yourself with people who slander their neighbors, if you're surrounding yourself with proud people, that will influence you. And David doesn't want that influence on his life. He wants his influence to be a godly one. So that he says in verse 6, rather than having these people around me, rather than having the proud person, rather than having the slanderer, my eyes will be on the faithful of the land. Remember what he said at the beginning? I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Well, in looking away from wickedness, he's setting his eyes on faithful men. So he's saying, instead of looking at wickedness, instead of tolerating sin, instead of leaving it in my life, I will look away and I will find faithful men and I will be with them. And he says that they may dwell with me. He doesn't want just to know vaguely faithful men. He wants faithful men to be the people in his house. 
He wants faithful men to be the people surrounding him. And then he says, he who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He even wants his servants to be upright, to have a perfect heart. Remember, he's a king. He's probably got a lot of servants. But his desire isn't for the servant who's the best cook. His desire isn't for the servant who can necessarily do that job in the best way, maybe sacrificing a few things here and there. He wants the servants who have a perfect heart. He wants the upright servants. He wants the servants with integrity. And then he contrasts that again in verse 7. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. Anybody in his house, those who are close to him, he doesn't want them to be wicked. He doesn't want them to be working deceit, to be living a lifestyle of lying, of deceit. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. Maybe they'll be in his presence for a little bit, but when he knows that they're speaking lies, when he knows that they tell lies, that they're a dishonest person, he's going to remove them. He's committed again to integrity. And then verse 8, Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. As king, he wants to be leading an upright nation. He wants to cut off the wicked people from the land, to remove them completely. And he says he'll do it early. He's not going to wait. You'll notice all throughout this psalm, he never says anything about waiting or tolerating for a little while. He says he will destroy them. He says he will not endure them. He says they will not continue in his presence. And here he says he will destroy them early. It's quick action. He's not waiting around. He's not leaving sin for a little bit and dealing with it later. He wants to cut off sin from his life now. And then he says, it's so that he may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Right at the very end, he ties it back in again to God. It's God's city, the one that he's living in, the one that he wants to have integrity, the one that he's purging. So this psalm really, we just kind of very briefly glanced at it, but it's David's commitment to integrity in his personal life, in his house, and in his kingdom. It's him saying, I will live with integrity. I will be faithful. It's him saying, I will cut off sin from my life. That's the cry of David in this psalm. But then that begs the question, what's your cry in your life? When you look at your life, can you legitimately say that you will cut off evil from your presence? When you look at what you're doing, can you say that sin will not endure? When you look at the things that you do, even your hearts, your thoughts, are you taking the steps that you can to remove sin? Not relying on your own strength, saying, I'm so good that I'm going to cut off all sin from my life, woohoo. But saying, I want to have a deep relationship with God. 
saying, God, when will you come to me? I want you to come to me, so I will remove sin from my life. Right? There are always those tiny little sins that we tolerate, like complaining. We all like to complain. It feels good. It's just a day we didn't like, and we just want to let everybody know we didn't like it. But even that, you're rejecting God's sovereignty. You're saying, God, I know better than you. I didn't like this day. I'm not thankful for it. Right? We call it a little sin, but it's still wickedness. Why do we tolerate something like that? Just maybe a little smudge here and there in our truth. Maybe the story would sound better if I added this little detail that maybe didn't happen. Right? Not being completely honest. We are members one of another. We're to speak the truth to one another. Do you tolerate just a little bit of sin? A little bit of sin is still wickedness that needs to be cut off. Then, this is prayer meeting tonight. So even as we look at our prayers, how does this affect our prayers? Well, I mean, I could just say simply we need to pray with integrity, but that doesn't really say very much. (laughs) We need to make sure, one, that we have this commitment That when we pray even, we're seeking God. We're confessing sin regularly in our prayers. We're saying, God, I'm wicked. We're asking for forgiveness. In our lives, we need to be asking God to point out sin so that we may confess it, so that we may walk uprightly. We need to praise God for his faithfulness, for his holiness and his righteousness. Because it's as we see God that we see what we're supposed to imitate. Christ is our example. So we need to praise God for his attributes there in our prayers. So even as we go before God in prayer tonight, remember that. There's nothing that you should be just kind of allowing by in your life in sin. There's nothing you should be tolerating. So pray with integrity, loving God, asking him for help. Because you can't do it by yourself. And I can't either. Speaking of prayer, I think now we're going to transition to the time of prayer.